So we're finishing up today on this sustainable hope, and we've been navigating on this journey for some time. And when we're thinking about sustainable hope, there's this question, it becomes of presence, of not only do we have sustainable hope, but how do we begin to live into it? What does it mean to be the presence of sustainable hope? Not just ourselves, but others. How do we begin to invite others into that? And over the last few weeks, we've hit at each and every different aspect of what we need to practice. How do we access what we need? What does it mean to elevate our expectations? Because those are connected to hope, a sustainable hope. And as we've been looking, right, we've dug into scripture and we've maneuvered around and looked differently at that word hope and other words like last week with thrive. What does it actually mean to thrive right where you are and not wait for for something else and we've talked about hope as this thing that is not equated to optimism optimism can be a piece a sliver of hope but hope is not equated to optimism and so today we add this last layer to it of thinking through all right if we're going to be a sustainable hope what does it mean to actually live it be it believe in it hold it and then be able to give it to others. And we're gonna be looking at this passage out of Acts where Paul, Paul is on his way. He's in a very difficult position. He is literally on the way to the end of his life. He's gonna have a lot more interactions before that happens, but he is on his way to the end. And yet, yet, he is going to have these conversations, he's going to have these interactions, and he is going to talk about hope, a hope that is connected to God. Paul is trying to give us an understanding of what it means to be a hopeful presence even in really difficult situations. Of how do we show up? How do we be that hopeful presence, even when things aren't so great, when we feel like they're kind of falling apart, when we're like, man, everything keeps coming at us, when we are surrounded by people who would like to tell us more about what is not working, about how awful things are, about how their life is falling apart, about how, you know what, society is going down. When we are surrounded by people who want to take hope away from us, who want to instill some despair and fear because they themselves are centered and have invited fear and despair into their lives and they can't see anything else. And so even when we are feeling that pressure from all around about, wait a minute, is it all falling apart really? Is anything ever going to get better? How do we go forward with sustainable hope? How do we be that hopeful presence even when those around us really aren't having it, aren't encouraging it themselves. So today we're going to start with Acts, the 26th chapter. And what we have to know is that Paul at this point, Paul has been wrongfully accused 
Paul is standing trial and has appealed to Caesar, which means he's going to be taken to Rome. And the rulers, the people it put in positions of power by Rome, are like, I don't know what to tell him up in Rome about what he did wrong. What do we say? And so they're grappling with that. And so Paul finds himself explaining something about who he is and what he does. And they're still like, oh, we don't get what the problem is. Because there are others who don't want any part of that hopeful presence, who don't want to be part of what Paul is saying. And we know those people, right? Maybe we even, as I say that, like people start to pop into mind of, oh, man, I wish they wouldn't call me. Oh, I don't want to hear from. Because they bring such despair and fear and judgment and just this anger and this disappointment and this their life is centered in that and so that's all they bring and so Paul's like yeah I'm trying to give this I'm trying to give a sense of how we can live differently but not everybody's having it and so that's why he has found himself in this place of his life is on the line as he is explaining who he is starting in Acts, the 26th chapter, verses 1 through 5. Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak for yourself. So Paul gestured with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself especially fortunate that I stand before you today as I offer my defense concerning all the accusations the Jews have brought against me. This is because you understand well all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I ask you to listen to me patiently. Every Jew knows the way of life I have followed since my youth because from the beginning I was among my people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time. If they wanted to, they could testify that I follow the way of life set out by the most exacting group of our religion. I am a Pharisee. So Paul immediately begins of saying, this is who I am. This is what I am about. This is how I've kind of lived my life. Paul understands who he is, and he's trying to give that a sense to that sense to Agrippa. He's trying to show up in that. And it's not this like he's putting on airs and he's trying to be something that he isn't. He's trying to be extraordinarily real about who he is in this moment. And when we're thinking about what does it take to be a hopeful presence, what does it take to be in the presence of those that are hopeful, it begins by going, man, this is who I am. This is my struggle. This is what I've done. It's about being real about who we are and who we want to be, where we're moving in this world, and about being able to be that even in really difficult times. As, as it says, right, he's mounting this defense with Agrippa. He's like, okay, you know, I, I may live, I may die, but here's what I'm going to say in this really difficult moment. I am going to show up. This is who I am as the pressure is beginning to build. And so for us, who are we when the pressure begins to build. Who do we want to be when the pressure begins to build? And are we real about it? Are we like, no, no, I got it all. I got it all together. It's all good. 
Or are we like, no, here is where I struggle. This is who I am. These are the things that I hold on to, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. It's about being able to place ourselves in the moment of knowing who we are, even when we feel like things are not going our way. Continuing on in Acts 26, verses 6 through 8. Today I'm standing trial because of the hope and the promise God gave our ancestors. This is the promise our 12 tribes hope to receive as they earnestly worship night and day. The Jews are accusing me, King Agrippa, because of this hope. Why is it inconceivable to you that God raises the dead? Psalm 1.1. The truly happy person doesn't follow wicked advice, doesn't stand on the road of sinners, and doesn't sit with the disrespectful. Paul is on trial, right? Paul is on trial because of the hope in the promise of God. And we may be going, okay, hope in the promise of God, and that he mentions the prophets and Moses, which are a couple thousand years before him. And you may be going, okay, like, is that hope like a realized hope? Like, what is that hope in the promise? Isn't the promise about land? But here, Paul is going, no, no, wait, wait, wait. This promise that has been throughout the ages that has led up 2,000 years prior to Paul more and then 2,000 years after Paul today is this hope that God does not quit us, that God continues to love us, that God will not leave us no matter what that God continues to guide and love and give us new possibilities, which is realized in Christ. And so if we're going, wait a minute, if God isn't quitting us, if God is constantly bringing us to new realities, new understandings, God is constantly shifting and focusing us and creating something new, then this idea, this understanding of Christ and raising from the dead doesn't seem so outlandish because anything becomes possible with God. And so Paul is going, I'm not saying anything really new. I'm just trying to give a sense of how things have changed. Here's kind of who I am, and here's how things began to change in my own life. Here's how I began to be shaped in the ways that I am interacting, in the ways that I'm processing, in the ways that I am engaging with those around me. And he's going to recognize he wasn't always good at it. Continuing on in verses 9 through 11. I really thought that I ought to oppose the name of Jesus the Nazarene in every way possible. And that's exactly what I did in Jerusalem. I locked up many of God's holy people in prison under the authority to the chief priests. When they were condemned to die, I voted against them. In one synagogue after another, indeed in all the synagogues, I would often torture them, compelling them to slander God. My rage bordered on the hysterical as I pursued them, even to foreign cities. So Paul is like, listen, life has kind of changed. I have been transformed in this love, in this understanding. There are new possibilities, and it doesn't matter what I have done in the past, there is a way forward. And he gets real, that he was a person that was consumed by anger, by being judgmental, by being self-righteous, that he was so self-destructive that he began to implode and take others with him. 
that he bordered on the hysterical, that his ways were so destructive, not only to himself, but they became destructive to the others, so that he actually caused widespread pain and violence. And he's like, if that isn't awful and terrible and the pit of despair, I don't know what is. Everything I've done in the past, whether good or bad, that's where I was. And here's this thing about this guy named Jesus, the Christ, the one who lived and died and was resurrected, that love cannot die, that there is new possibility. The theologian and biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann gives us a real sense of what Paul is talking about when he says, resurrection of the dead is God's capacity to take a circumstance of complete shutdown and hopelessness and make something new from it. Paul is like, this is where I was. I was in a state of hopelessness and despair. I was at the bottom of the barrel and there was no way out. Like I was so consumed by this way of living, I could not see anything else. I could not see where there could be love. I could not see where there could be peace. I could not understand how to be filled with joy. This is where I was, King Agrippa. And for ourselves, when we're looking around us, when we're looking at everything that's happening, how often does that fear and despair kind of start to creep in and kind of infiltrate and kind of begin to take over where that's what we begin to focus on and we think, I don't think there's a way out. I don't think there's a way forward. We're never going to be able to have peace. Well, not if we say that. Not if we live that way. We can't have joy. Well, no, joy's never going to happen if we don't choose it. I can never change. Well, no, if you say that, you never will. Right? So Paul is like, here's the thing about all of this. Here's where I was, and here's the transformation that took place that put me on this path to this moment standing in front of you. Done some awful things. I'm trying to do different. I'm trying to engage differently. I am trying to be a hopeful presence. And yeah, people are mad at me for being hopeful, for trying to give them love, for trying to say, you know, there's another way of living. You don't have to stay in. You can experience something greater you can be created into something new, and that's what they're mad about. He's trying to be real about the situation at hand. Continuing on in verses 19 through 21. So King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I proclaimed first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, to the whole region of Judea and to the Gentiles, my message is what the, that they should change their hearts and lives and turn to God and that they should demonstrate this change in their behavior. Because of this, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to murder me. Yeah, self-destructive, but this transformation happened. We often talk about it as on the road to Damascus. 
He experiences the risen Christ. He experiences love in a completely transformative way. He's like, wait a minute. I need to give up these ways. I need to find peace in my life. I need a different way of living. And not only is he so excited about it, but he's like, I want everybody else to know about it. I want everybody else to experience love. I want everybody else to experience hope. I want everybody else to experience peace and joy. I want everybody else to be encouraged in their lives. And what kind of presence is that, right? All of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, Paul. I like that presence. You want to come hang out at my house? Come sit at my table. Eat with me. How often do we invite that kind of presence into our lives that says, no, we can get through this. Something new is going to happen, and I'm going to be a part of it. I am going to work towards, no matter what ends up happening, I am going to work with God because God's not going to quit. I am going to work with and try to be that hopeful presence in the world, that hopeful presence with my family, with my friends. I'm going to try to be that hopeful presence that there is God working in the world, trying to bring something good and transformative out of every single situation. And that's what I'm going to hold on to. And so for each of us, as we're thinking through, as we're hearing Paul, as we're being challenged, challenged by these words, of trying to get a sense of what does it mean? What does it mean to be that hopeful presence, not just for ourselves, but for others, for our communities, for the church, for society, for the world? Because it's a choice. It's a choice to be a hopeful presence, even though God keeps extending it to us and saying, I'm always here. I'm with you. I am going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for that love. I'm going to fight for a new way of living and being. And I get it. We all stumble and we all fall. And Paul is yet still encouraging us going, we can do it. We got to be real about where we are and where we want to go. And we're going to have to make some decisions and we're going to have to change some behaviors. We're going to have to do some practices, but we can do it. We can be that hopeful presence for ourselves and others because God is going with us no matter what's happening around us. Finishing up in Acts 26, verses 22 through 23. God has helped me up to this very day. Therefore, I stand here and bear witness to the lowly and the great. I'm saying nothing more than what the prophets and Moses declared would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and that as the first to raise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to my people and to the Gentiles. Psalm 1, verses 2 through 3. Instead of doing those things, these persons, these persons love the Lord's instruction, and they recite God's instruction day and night. They are like a tree replanted by streams of water, which bears fruit at just the right time, and whose leaves don't fade, whatever they do succeeds. So Paul is like, yeah, here I am. I keep showing up. I get it. People want me dead because I'm being hopeful. I'm giving them something new, but I'm still going to keep trying. I'm still going to keep going. I'm still going to hold on to that sustainable hope in that promise that God does not quit us, God will not leave us, God is bringing something new and good 
out of any situation. And so we may be thinking, all right, how do we become that hopeful presence? And Paul gives this sense that, you know, it's like we keep like reminding ourselves, right? Therefore, I stand and bear witness. Therefore, I just keep on going. And then I look back. I look back to the prophets and Moses. I keep going, okay, other people have done it. What can I learn from them? What can I learn from others that help me in this journey? And the psalmist really picks up on that, right? The psalmist, when it says, he says, these persons love the Lord's instruction and they recite God's instruction day and night. That sense of who are we learning from? Who are we going to? Who are we inviting into our lives? What instruction are we inviting and making space for in our lives that brings us to a hopeful presence, or as the psalmist says, brings us like a tree replanted by streams and then begins to bear fruit, begins to not only receive life, but give life? Who and what are we allowing in our lives? Who and what are we allowing and making space for? Are we only making space for those who complain day and night? Are we only making space for those who are filled with fear and despair? Are we only making space for those things that we don't like it, but it's, you know, it's comfortable? Here Paul is challenging us, trying to give us a sense, trying to encourage us in understanding who we are and what we are inviting into our spaces. Now, it's not to say we don't try and be like, no, wait, hold up. We don't He's trying to challenge and give us that encouragement to challenge and be like, listen, you need to have, we need to think about, we need to look at, we need to focus upon that shift that he's trying to give other people and we ourselves are trying to be that for others. But there comes a point in all throughout Paul's teaching where when they say, absolutely not, I want no part of that, he goes, okay, I'm out. Let me go on and try somewhere else. Let me try with others. Let me invite others into this space. And so as we're thinking about being that hopeful presence, what is the struggle for us? What is the struggle about what we invite into our space? Do we easily invite fear and despair? Oh my goodness, did you see that headline? Oh no, everything. What are we inviting into our space that encourages us in being that hopeful presence, that gives us direction and guidance so that then we can turn around and be it for someone else? so that we can be it for the community. Because things will not change if we're like, it can't, it won't. It won't change until we access this sustainable hope that God keeps giving, keeps offering, and keeps calling us to engage in, to live. So who will we invite? What will we invite into that hopeful presence of God. Who will we be, mind, body, and soul, in the spirit of God, that sustainable hope? How will we be challenged this day? How will we hold on to? How will we say, you know what? 
It may be hard, but I can be that hopeful presence. I'm going to try every single day. And anytime someone is like, hey, I'm inviting fear and despair into this conversation, we'd be like, hey, whoa, hold up. Where's the hope? Where's the encouragement? Where's the love? Because if we look hard enough, we will see where God is at work. We live in a society that is hungering for hope right now. And when you hear that word of hope, I've heard people think of it in cynical ways. I've heard people go, impossible, because we are in such need of it. And so we are being called this day, at this time, to be that hopeful presence because our community needs it, our families need it, our friends need it, everyone around us, this world needs some sustainable hope. And so will we be challenged? Will we allow ourselves to be challenged in ways of how we get to be part of that work, of how we be that hopeful presence? How will we hear this challenge this day? How will we allow this experience of Paul to infect us, engage us, and drive us forth in this hope of God's promise. And who and what are we going to invite along for the journey? Amen.